Hi, this is Megan Ball. And this is Brock Wilbur. And you're listening to Carrying Into the Void, the podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story we've heard, and then try to find the silver lining or flip it into something that, while possibly not positive, will at least be productive. Megan, what'd you do this week? You'll be amazed, sir. I watched <laughs> a television season, a series even, the whole thing in four days. What is it? I watched all of Schitt's Creek. <laughs> It finally happened. Oh my god. Oh, it's so I glorious. finally did. I know. I I and I enjoyed every moment of it. It was have wonderful. Have you watched the finale documentary? I have because it came up next on Netflix and I was like wonderful. all in my emotions, so I just let it play. <laughs> Viv beat me to the last two seasons, so she watched the finale in real time. And then I was in the other room being like I'm not going to spoil this and then the documentary started. And for the next hour and a half to two hours, it was the the screaming and wailing of a woman that heard her husband's ship had gone under at sea. And I was just like, I, I actually have to leave the house. Like, I, I too, am, am, am sort of invested in this at this point, And I don't want spoilers, but also like, this is, I've never heard somebody shriek for that long over pop culture. I was like, I, okay, this is, this is painful to be in the vicinity of. And I, I was like, this is still a comedy show, right? Like that's how these work. No, I, I really enjoyed it. I, everyone who said it's genius was correct. I relate way too strongly to David, which probably should worry me. But, um. Does anyone not relate to David? I don't know. I would, I, I would be more concerned about that. At least within my friend group, I suppose. Yeah, I talked to my sister um, about this because she's the one that was forcing me to do it. And I was like, okay, well, I've got the time. I'm going to watch Schitt's Creek. And I watched all of it in four days. But my sister says that she relates really strongly to Moira. And I'm like, I can see that. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and she's like, and you're David. And I'm like, yeah, I'm David. <laughs> it's good that you're not fighting it. I'm really not. And also, it's like, I really liked half of his sweaters. Like, I'd wear most of them. I was like, where's the one with the really cool lightning bolts? I want that. So, yeah, I, I've actually watched a television program. So, I hope you're proud. I'm actually chewing through my tongue right now. I'm just, I, I'm trying to, I, I don't want to make a big deal out of it because then you won't do it again. Like, you'll be like, I know how you are. So, like, I'm just trying to sit here and be like, yes, good. I'm glad that you feel fulfilled by that choice i keep up with some tv shows i'm gonna watch castlevania season four soon and no that's probably it actually nope yeah i knew that that's where that ended i don't think watching antiques roadshow every monday with my dad counts but that's the tv program they uh they are coming through kansas city shortly as well as the uh the pickers show uh and they reached out to our publication to be like so here's the thing like we kind of depend on people just showing the fuck up like could you go ahead and ring the klaxon to tell people to like come out on these days and i was like yeah i i want to see that sure <laughs> i so want to go to the antiques roadshow people like i even know what i would bring from the house to have them like appraise me and my father talk about this all the time because at the core i am a 60 year old woman i would love for them to come around i would wait in line to be told my shit is worthless it would be the best day ever <laughs> i uh I took a little too long getting to the show here for this episode because uh, I thought that the recording unit that I've used for the last nine years had finally crapped out on me. And it turns out I'd taken my SD card upstairs, used it in something, uh, and it wasn't there, couldn't find it. Uh, one of the cats uh, managed to pick it up in his mouth, 
and go hide it in a pile of toys. So I'm, I'm really thrilled that the turnaround time here was as short as it was because uh, it's it's a house and it's an, a tiny SD card and uh, the ability to go, it was here. It's not there. It's not there. A cat, mayhaps a cat, hath used its mouth to, uh, and, and indeed, and then I had to like, I put it into the unit without looking and it wasn't working. And then I realized I'd put it in and it's covering cat hair. So I had to like blow into it like an old NES cartridge. The cats are conspiring against, they're not catting into the void. I think they want a guest on the show or they're mad that they can't come down to the basement. So after they pulled the switcheroo on changing their markings on you, I think that they would be our first ever on air cryptids. What do you have for carrying into the void this week? I would like to tell you about the Night Witches of World War II. World War Witches. <laughs> There's a lot of unsung stories in World War II, and I, since this is carrying into the void and we're here for a good time, even though it's a spooky time, I'm not going to get into a lot of stuff about World War II. But this is a really interesting story, and it's also a kind of spooky one. Okay. The Night Witches were a group of an all-women air battalion from Russia, from the Soviet Union, and they scared the absolute bejesus out of the Nazis. And I think that is hilarious. So the story goes, um, they are the brainchild of a woman named Marina Raskova, who was known as the Soviet Amelia Earhart. She's one of the first female navigators in the Soviet Air Force. And she's one of the first people with Amelia Earhart who beat some long distance flight records. She had been receiving letters from women all over the Soviet Union wanting to join the war effort because they've, you know, they saw their brothers go and they saw their boyfriends and husbands and fathers go to war and they want to help too. So she goes to Joseph Stalin and says, hey, here's an idea for you. I've got all these women. They want to help out. Why don't I make an air squadron and we can, you know, run supplies and stuff like that. And he buys it because he's a big fan of hers. He's like a huge stan of Marina Raskova. And he's like, sure, here's some money. And here you go. So she gets a bunch of women together and they learn in like six months what people in flight school would go to for like three years. They have barely any training. They're all women in their late teens and early 20s. And they have the shittiest planes imaginable. They have planes that were technologically advanced 40 years ago. And they scare the crap out of the Nazis. They fly only at night. And they make a silent whooshing noise in the air because they turn off their engines to glide over Nazi supplies or like base camps and they bomb the shit out of them. The Nazis never see them coming. They're never on radar because their planes are so shitty and they can't do anything about it. The Nazis are shitting their pants and these women are coming back and forth and doing multiple raids a night. The Nazis can't get sleep. They can't get supplies. So they start calling them the Nachtexen, which is night witches in German. They literally think these women are supernatural. They are convinced that the Soviet Union went out into like the woods of like St. Petersburg or whatever and found a bunch of witches to fly their planes who could see at night. Like they never thought, oh, these are a bunch of like women who are just like flying planes. They legitimately think they're witches and they don't know how to stop them. And I think that's hilarious. <laughs> like, it's just the dumbest thing. It's not like, oh, yeah, these are just people flying around on planes. We should figure out a way to, like, shoot them down. It's No, they're terrified because they're witches. And they're like, like, how do we stop witches? No, they're just people flying planes. 
but it's amazing what they were doing because the planes were so shitty. They weren't covered. So they are, all the women were getting like low frostbite because they were flying at night in the cold. The planes were canvas and wood. They could only carry a certain amount of weight. So they, they couldn't bring with them compasses. They couldn't bring parachutes. They literally only had an engine. They had no lights and they had bombs. That's it. So they're flying in the open air and they're, they're all continuously getting frostbite and, and being exposed to the bombs. Like, do these women start coming back looking more and more like witches at the base, like with some scars and some digits starting to fall off? They and get roughed up. They get roughed up. Gotcha. But they also roughed up the Nazis. They destroyed 17 river crossings, nine railways, two railway stations, 26 warehouses, 12 fuel deposits, 176 armored cars. 12 tanks and performed 155 supply drops to Russian soldiers behind enemy lines. They were an essential part of the Soviet Union beating the Nazis. They would go back and forth eight or nine times a night because they could only carry two bombs at a time. And they almost never got shot down. Returning to the same location repeatedly. Yeah. Awesome. That's incredible. There are 261 of these night witches of which only 32 died, which in World War II are incredibly good odds. And they had no respect. The people that they had who were in like the upper echelons of the Soviet Union were like, oh, they're just girls. They're, you know, they're not doing anything. And at the same time, they're like amazed that the Nazis are retreating because the Nazis think they're being hounded by witches. And it was an all-female team. The mechanics were women. The flight people were women. The navigators were women. There was hardly anyone on the team that was a man because none of the men wanted to be involved. They all had hand-me-down male uniforms that didn't really fit. They had shoes that didn't really fit. And they were some of the most important parts of the end of World War II. I don't think I've ever actually been mad at you for the story that you brought here, but like, this is just embarrassing the rest of us. Like, take it down a notch, like, split that one up into three. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's one of those hidden stories of World War II where there was so much going on in those years. You could tell a story a day for five years and not go into all the cool, interesting, weird things that happened in that span of time. And I just think this is incredible because it's an all female team against the odds you know, with the shittiest type of equipment, basically being let out to die at the middle of the night, in the cold, in the dark, and they wrecked the Nazi shit. And I think that is worth celebrating and a story worth telling. I gotta hear your caring moment here. (laughs) All right. The caring into the void moment today is, listen, it's going to be fine. It's going to work. So what? You don't have all the supplies you need. That's okay. You can do this. You have resolve on your side, courage, ingenuity. You can do anything you set your mind to. They may not appreciate you. They may underestimate you, but that will just make you stronger. They have no idea what you are capable of. You can move heaven and earth. You can end wars. You can terrorize and harry and bring misery to anyone that stands in your way. Victory will be yours. Hard won and well earned. And anyone who didn't believe in you will go down in history as fools. History is written by the winners, and you hold that pen in your hand. Yes. (laughs) One of these days, I'm going to bring you a story that's not about either Victorians or about history. I swear to God. (laughs) I don't think I want it. (laughs) 
you're really batting 900 here. So like, sure, keep it up. What carrying into the void do you have for me today? So uh, last year, uh, there were some astronomers doing what they do, looking up. Uh, and they caught something that uh, was kind of shocking. They caught the end of a star's life uh, as it was obliterated by a supermassive black hole. Uh, and this uh, star's collapse was more unique than most black hole destruction events because uh, the the star that was destroyed uh, was uh, obliterated by spaghettification. What? Wait, no, go back a second. Spaghettification? Spaghettification. I know it sounds like something out of baseball, uh, but it is the process of being turned into spaghetti. Are uh, these researchers Italian? Like what? <laughs> like... No, this isn't some sort of Mario thing. Uh, anyway, uh, 215 million light years away, uh, they caught this black hole that was sucking in a star. It was nearby, uh, and these UK scientists saw it, and it was devoured by what they determined as a monster black hole. Uh, so it's it's this gigantic thing, and the star had approximately the same mass as our sun. It It was huge. Uh, it was a giant thing, but it was also a giant black hole. And so what happened was uh, they sort of met and it was two things trying to slide into the same space, even with the destruction. And they just sort of like split uh, throughout. So during this violent spaghettification process, long, thin strands of material that make up the star collapse into the intense gravity of a black hole, which basically swallows it up like a stellar spaghetti. Uh, and it releases these big bright bursts of energy that can be detected by astronomers. So yeah, it basically tears the star into thin shreds. So a, as you can see it, as they saw uh, through the photographs that they have of the supermassive black hole, it's just like thin strands of the star just start, start shooting everywhere. It's it's turned into stellar spaghetti. Oh my God. <laughs> Spaghettification. <laughs> stellar spedification. <laughs> that is horrifying. Uh, so our carrying into the void moment of this week is... Strung through dividers, seeing it all slip away, the division is not the only way forward, but it is the only way through. Part of you unto what is next, part of you filling what you left behind. A new form for reimagining solutions to the space. You twist and flow, you dance among dimensions, you kiss the unknown, you spread and multiply as you twist and go on forever. You're never less and you're always more. Your volume quakes between the epochs and you can always see the stretch unfurl across the always. Torn to shreds, but built up better than ever before. Besides, it's cosmic swimsuit season, and you wanted to look thin. <laughs> oh, you nailed that landing. A plus work, sir. <laughs> Every year, I th I, I'm like, okay, it's spring. I'm going to go in, and I'm going to have beach bod. And it's always funny to me, usually, because I'm like, where the fuck is the beach? And then this last year, like, I was like, cool, I have no distractions. I'm going to pull that one off. And I'm like... There's nobody to impress. I I can look like whatever I want. What am I trying to do? And I think that really hit the reset button for me on, on any sort of body image issues where I was like, no. Like it, it, once you've done a year of not giving a shit what anyone thinks about how you look, like it's it's pretty easy to be moving forward. And like, hey, remember that? Like just hang on to that feeling forever. Like be, be healthy, take care of yourself, but also like there's no impossible standard to stick to. And for some reason in looking at this, I was like, you know, I think it just wanted to shed some pounds before uh, before the summer sun hit. I'm just like, why is why is that my reaction to a star being torn apart 215 million uh, miles away? But sure, that's where we are. So, oh my god, that's mine. That's. <laughs> but you know what? You're right. You're not wrong. You know, like <laughs> you're really not wrong. I'm always weird, never wrong. There you go. <laughs> 
Yeah, body image sucks. It's the pandemic's really messed around with that, especially because we've all gotten like that quarantine 15 or whatever they're calling it nowadays and like the fashion magazines. It sucks. Mm -hmm. I hate it. And it's like the first time you put on jeans in like six months and you're just like, oh, that's different. (laughs) You're like, these are not my soft pants. Why am I? Why? Why has it happened to me? This is actually my self caring, uh, which is that. I've been experiencing an extended period here of sudden uh, out-of-control depression about life returning to normal uh, because it's happening so fast. And I think in my head, I thought, like, I I gained significantly more than a pandemic 15 and, like, that amongst everything else. Yes, none of the clothes fit or look right. Um, So many parts of my life, like, I've forgotten how to talk to people in a social setting and, like, make eye contact. I, I'm, I'm not ready to do so many things. I had to go on a trip recently and like I had to fly in a plane and like I was having a breakdown even though I'm fully double vaxxed and like there's nothing that I should really be worried about. And I, I, I took that to therapy with me. And I was like, I'm having a depression about life coming back to normal too quickly. And I was told that's kind of happening around here. And I wanted to normalize the fact that like as much as we were like, oh my God, I want the world back and I hate being locked inside. It is truly and sincerely a thing that a lot of us are going through where it's like, oh, everyone's back at the office. Like, I, no no, sh- no shade on my boss, but he is also the, the sort of guy that, like, loves to, like, lean in my doorway and talk to me about the Marvel show he watched last weekend. And the first time he did it, I was like, well, what's happening? Like, I forgot how to, how to, like, be interested in what people were saying in, like, an office small talk situation. I don't know how to do water cooler anymore. Yeah. Like, what is, what is happening around me? And like, I, I can feel it in every part of everyday life. Um, and so. No, I'm, I'm completely with you on that. I have a very weird anxiety about stuff going back to normal too soon. I actually almost bought concert tickets today, texted a friend of mine. I was like, it's that band we both love. They're coming. They're going to be in like this really small venue. It's going to be fantastic. And then we, and then we both <laughs> had this moment of, is it too soon? Is it safe to be in like a 600 capacity venue in October? You know, and and we both had to, like, sit with that for a moment. Like, I thought I was going to run back into a concert venue and hug the rail for dear life because I've missed being able to go out like that. And now I'm sitting here like. You and I said that to each other for more than a year. I know. We all knew what we were like. Day one, we're going to go spit in each other's mouths (laughs) and like we're going to like. But like, no, the truth of the matter is like it's actually kind of horrifying. And like it gives me weird little shakes. And I'm like, but. But it's all I wanted. Yeah. And like, no, maybe it isn't. And maybe I got real used to like working from bed. <laughs> so... I got real used to working from home. Like I work in, in an office where it's like you have to kind of dress up a little and you have to like, you know, you have your little cube and everything. So no one's got walls or a door. And going in there on the days that I have to, because we've been doing like a rotating schedule, sucks so bad. I got so used to being at home in pajamas with like my headphones on. I can't have headphones at work because I'm supposed to be listening out for like the phone or whatever. And it's like, oh, this has actually like completely decreased my quality of life. (laughs) Like I got so used to being able to like, you know, watch a video or like have a podcast on while I'm doing work. Mm -hmm. And I feel like my ADHD brain needs like six different inputs at a time so I can be really good at what I'm doing. And so at home, I'm able to, like, have the headphones on, have music on or a podcast or, like, you know, an episode of something or YouTube or whatever. And I can sit there and I blast through my work. Like, I I feel like I'm doing so well. And then I go to the office 
and I'm distracted and people are trying to talk to me while I'm doing work. And it's like, I have the hardest time not turning to someone being like, why, who, what do you want? Like, why are you bothering me? Like, can't you see <laughs> that I'm, I'm in the middle of something and it's, it's so impolite and it's so rude. And it's like, now I can't get back to what I was doing. And it's like, oh yeah, this is how it was all the time. This is what life was like. And I'm like, oh. It's uh, it's real easy to tell people like, you know, you don't have to worry about this thing. But like, I I, I know that in my head, I'm like, but you do. I, I think the best piece of like advice that I could offer to somebody is that I know one person who finished their novel during lockdown and one person that got like swole and real hot uh, for the first time during lockdown. And both of those people are hated by everyone that knows them just absolutely disdained it's like oh good for you but in your head you're just like i want to poke them with a pitchfork god damn them because like so like at the very least had you have done that thing that your brain tells you you should have done no one would like no like we all we're all in one boat together and a couple of them are on the lifeboats and we're gonna shoot machine guns at the lifeboats like they're not going none of us finished a novel none of us finished art none of us you know, did that screenplay we always said we would. No one watched more than two episodes of, like, Yoga by Adrian, And, you know, you just sat there on your yoga mat the entire time, not moving, just watching her. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is a good start. And then you never did it again. Like, like you know, everyone's like, you know, this is a time for me to be able to, like, take care of me and work on stuff. I didn't work on shit. Like, <laughs> I've said it before. Taylor Swift and I had very different pandemics. You know, I don't understand how anyone was able to think straight. I still can't think straight. You know, it's... Nor shall we anytime soon, which is a fine uh, weight to lift. Yeah, no, we're all in this together. All of us didn't do anything. And you know what? There's there, there's kind of like a relief in, in being okay with that, you know? Because I sure. feel like I, I quote unquote, like wasted the quarantine as if that was a thing to waste, you know? Like, I should have practiced guitar more. I should have done this. I should have organized my closet <laughs> no it was one of the most stressful periods in in our human history that we've gone through and the fact that we all made it out with the modicum of sanity that we still have left is admirable you know so be kind to yourself because no one wrote the great american novel during this time and if they think they did they didn't you know and if you decided to like do like a novel about like the plague itself no one wants to read it i never want to hear about the shit ever again i don't want to watch a movie about it i don't want, i don't want to see a tv series about it i just want to like not that it didn't happen because it did and we should you know reflect on that and take that in but i don't need to see it on a big screen i don't need to see cameron diaz in like a mask figuring out you know how to get her doordash on a movie i don't need that so i, I think that Actually, I'm, I'm trying my best to not reflect on it. I actually went in and took this all out of uh, Earth's Wikipedia page. <laughs> There's a whole entry on it. And I was just like, nah, dog, not for no. me. Uh, so that was a pretty good self-care. Um, this week, I'd love to lift up a piece of pop culture that is Ben Wheatley's In the Earth. Uh, it is a movie that went to theaters and is now on Amazon. Uh, Wheatley directed Free Fire and High Rise and some other very high concept things. Uh, he also directed Army Hammer in Netflix's remake of uh, Hitchcock's Rebecca, which we needn't speak about because we don't talk about cannibals on this show unless they're funny. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, he directed this movie that's, that is about a worldwide pandemic. Uh, and that's where 
the connections between this and that end, uh, but it's about a couple of people going into the woods looking for a solution to the problem. Uh, and what comes next is an incredible forest horror, uh, high concept, mostly semi-sci-fi, but also very folk horror-y thing uh, with some very rock and roll, like uh, music-based, like audio recording elements um, think very much uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind and figuring out the alien language. Uh, anyway, it is um, a, a bold, stunning, um, almost visually and auditorily painful experience to the point where it is required of me to mention that if you have any trouble with stroboscopic effects, that is a solid third of the movie is just flashing lights. They are They are inherently part of an experimental process, but they never ever shut off except during the daytime and uh like even for me i was like i'm i'm having a headache because they're trying to induce me into thinking that like the devil exists or something but like it is it is a lot and i am <laughs> i am both um angry that i couldn't see it in a theater because i think it would be one of my favorite films of, the, of all time but also thankful because i think i would have had to take some breaks so that is that is my warning ahead of it uh don't look anything up about it but it is just a truly special, fascinating uh, British film. Um, and there it is. If you if you can watch it, do. And if you can't, that's totally fine. <laughs> that sounds ridiculously intense. Yeah, imagine if the guy at the soundboard at a concert uh, was trying to save the world uh, via microphoning trees and learning their language, but also there was definitely like a witch involved. It's a lot. It's a lot <laughs> happening. So like... <laughs> I've had nightmares like that. That's fine. <laughs> um, I want to lift up today um, something a little bit out of character, but uh, it's been stuck in my head for a while. Um, Orville Peck, who I adore, who yes. is a country singer, um, did a song with Trixie Mattel, who I didn't know who they were. Oh my but God, Megan. I don't watch Drag Race. I've never seen an episode I of know. Drag Race. Although, You're yeah. Um, but a very good friend of mine named Johnny um, loves Trixie Mattel. And was like, hey, one of my favorites is doing a song with one of your favorites. And I'm like, oh. And it is a cover song of Johnny and June Cash's um, Jackson. And it's wonderful. It's so bright and and cheerful and fun. And like, I don't know, it's great. The music video is fantastic. It's just pure joy. It makes me so happy, which is a thing that I really, really like nowadays where not many things make me happy. So it's a really nice, bright spot. Um, and I started watching Trixie Mattel's videos on YouTube, and she is a riot. So that is another now little bright spot I have. Um, maybe I'll try and watch Drag Race. I don't I don't even know what channel it's on, but like, or like how many seasons are in it. But um, I think she's fantastic. And the song is probably going to go on my end of year list for one of the best songs of 2021. So Check it out. Watch the music video. It's Orville Peck being the most Orville Peckish he can be, and Trixie Mattel doing a whole like Dolly Parton type of send up. It's wonderful. I I can't get enough of it. So I I know I'm supposed to be like the cool like metal chick who like listens to Bayamoth and everything, but I love Orville Peck and I love this and it's great. <laughs> the song is good and the cover is good. Yeah, so yeah. It's want to take us on out of this one. <laughs> sure. And remember, keep your hearts dark and true and your teeth sharp and many. And we'll see you next time in the void. Bye, 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 bye.
Bye.